0: Hey there, you're listening to Past to Present, a social studies podcast by educators for you. We'll take a look at the middle school social studies standards taught in the state of Texas. Together, let's clarify some key concepts in history and think of ways to help students relate history to their everyday life. Today's episode is gonna be a two-part series. The first of a two-part series on the road to revolution, and today we're gonna focus on the economics of the American Revolution. And next episode will be more about the politics. So that's gonna be where we talk about the acts, the Stamp Act, the massacre, all of that.
1: And so this is gonna be about the economic undertones that led to unrest um, that ended up affecting the political process if you will absolutely so we'll f- start with the uh, four main issues that we've kind of identified as uh, the economic kind of controversy for uh, what led to the American Revolution and number one being the French and Indian War mm-hmm. which I know something you're passionate about which I didn't know that people could be passionate about the French and Indian War until I met you
0: I do like the French and Indian War it's interesting so the overarching question that we want to ask kids when we start into the French and Indian War is how does this war impact America in the long term?
1: Well, America's relationship with England, right? Yeah. That's that's our big focus is how does how does that go about shifting the the move from kind of being very patriotic um, members of the UK, and I don't even know if that's what they used back then, to wanting to be separate.
0: I think it was still England at that time. Was it England or Britain?
1: Well, England's a kingdom okay. of Britain.
0: It's all confusing. Yeah, absolutely. And I just use them interchangeably. I think it confuses kids, but...
1: That's all right. They'll We're, Ameri- survive. We're Americans. We can do it.
0: Exactly. So what you really want to do when you're teaching the French and Indian War is you want to start with the overview. You don't want to get into the battles. You don't really want to get into the details too much at all. You want kids to understand the big picture. Again, how does it impact America? And what causes it? What are its effects? Um, the main things that you need to know is that it's a dispute between France and England over the territory known as the Ohio River Valley.
1: Which is really just um, eastern Ohio, border with Kentucky and Pennsylvania and West Virginia.
0: Wow, I'm impressed. I know, I'm pretty
1: impressed that I could pull that off myself.
0: I I think that it's super important that kids know that that was a really, like, plush spot of land. Mm -hmm. First of all, it connects to all the major, uh, what are those called? The Great Lakes, Mm -hmm. okay, which is great for us. And it also has a direct route to the Mississippi River. Um, So that is a really, like, great uh, plot of land, and the,
1: the uh, and if you want to get into it a little bit, you can talk about how George Washington was involved mm-hmm. in the start of the war. It wasn't he didn't actually start it, but he's he's given credit for it to some extent. Um, yeah,
0: and apparently he like dodged. Oh, he was supposedly shot multiple times in that war and lived, or not actually shot, but it looked like he Went was shot. Went through his coat and his yeah. horses,
1: and he, he even wrote that he loved the, the sound of battle and loved being part of battle.
0: So that's like George Washington's first major mm-hmm. entry into the military. Um, you'd probably want to mention that to kids just so that he's not some random guy.
1: Well, it helps when you get ready to talk about him taking over the Continental Army, and he wasn't just somebody that was plucked out of the air. He was yeah. somebody who had a reputation throughout the colonies as a military leader, if you yeah. will. Um, so in
0: 1756, Britain officially declares war. And in 1763, a peace treaty is signed, and that is called the Treaty of Paris. It's one of 8 million treaties of Paris, which is kind of fun to talk to kids about.
1: And make sure you reference that with students. Um, treaty of Paris, always 1763, just so when you get to the next Treaty of Paris, they just kind of have that little bit of understanding. Um they won't see that on any star test or anything like no. that. But it just helps when you're yeah. talking about it.
0: And um, another thing to make sure that kids understand is that this was a world war. Mm-hmm. Um, this was this stems from a huge, a long-standing, um, what is it? What? Feud. A feud. Thank you. Between England and France, that's finally like met its match and is now erupting into an actual war.
1: Well, they're the two main uh, powers in Europe at the time. They're really the two. Only nation states in Europe at the time, Um, you know, countries like Germany and Italy, as we know it today, didn't exist. Um, Spain was on the decline, and so um, in in England and France had been fighting for centuries before this, yeah, off and on. And so they kind of understand that, and they kind of like the idea of rivals. Kids love that idea because they get it because they have. If you ask each kid, they they would probably all say they have some kind of rival. Yeah
0: and i think it's important for them to understand that now as we begin the story of american history mm-hmm. so that when we st- launch into the early republic they understand all the political unrest that's going on during the first three to four presidencies which leads to you know the french revolution mm-hmm. and also the war of 1812 if we just spring that on them and they have no sort of context of how it all fits together they really struggle to grasp the um the differences you know like how loyal Jefferson is to France. And, I mean, all of that stems from years and years and years of politics between these two nations. Well,
1: and even when you get to the American Revolution unit, you know, if, if we're at war with England, who does it make sense to have as an ally?
0: Yeah.
1: Or, you know, why is Hamilton, you know, an Anglophile and Jefferson's the Francophile? And why are they trying so hardly to, to, to be part of that, Kind of feud and use okay. it to their own advantage.
0: What words did you just say? An Anglophile.
1: <laughs> Anglophile. What does that mean? It's uh, basically all things England, like lover of England. Oh
0: and wow! Francophile. I learned something new already. All right. Okay, so the colonists um, view this as an opportunity. So the Treaty of Paris is signed. Let me read. Let me back up. The Treaty of Paris has been signed. The war is over. You don't want to you could spend an entire year on the French and Indian War. It's an amazing war. There's a lot of great information in did there. You say it
1: was an amazing war?
0: Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> it was an interesting war. Let okay. me rephrase. All right. Um, but you want to focus on the key concepts. So, the question is now how does the Treaty of Paris impact America? How does this war impact America?
1: I'll tell you when I was in the classroom the first thing we did was we looked at it from a standpoint of land acquisition and land change. And we had a map. um, It it was literally a color by number. And it was before the French and Indian War and after the French and Indian War. And you see France gave up everything in -hmm. North America. Mm -hmm. They lose everything west of the um, Appalachian Mountains all the way to the Mississippi. Well, they lose all of that. Um, Spain gets some, but Britain gets all the way to the Mississippi River. And then England also gets um, Canada. Right. And France keeps Haiti.
0: Right. But the French people don't move out of there. I mean, they're still there. They still keep their culture, even though it's British territory. Well,
1: right. That's I mean, look at Louisiana. Exactly. Uh, New Orleans, primarily, right. things like that.
0: So the colonists are now that they have acquired this territory, the Northwest Territory that we've been talking about, that now belongs to, to England or Britain. Yes. And the colonists view this as an opportunity to expand westward. So they're very eager about this. They're very excited. A lot of farmers are looking forward to having that land to um, grow wheat on and to um, become whiskey distillers.
1: Just to, just set up settlements and, and improve their economic standing. A lot of it would be your former indentured servants, yes. your poor people, but even land speculators, um, Washington dabbled in that a little bit. Um, just a lot of opportunity economically out west.
0: So that's the first. The colonists want to expand westward. Mm-hmm. The second is that now, because of this war, Britain is in a massive amount of debt. And that's an important thing for kids to understand is that war is expensive. And now that they're in this debt, they are going to view this war as a war for the colonies, Um, especially because that's where it took place for the most part. There was some fighting in Europe, but for the most part, it was there. It was a colonial battle. And um, they viewed it as kind of their war.
1: And so, and, and that really, you kind of touched on earlier being a world war. A lot of it was fought in the, the Caribbean, protecting uh, the sugar plantations, French and English. Um, and so, uh, even, you know, what we call the 13 colonies. And so, they benefited from the British winning that war. Right. And um, the war wasn't going well for the British at first. And they eventually um, bring in a prime minister that spends themselves into debt, but spends so much money that they they win the war itself.
0: So as a result of this, the British are going to begin changing some of their economic policies towards the colonies. And this is going to begin the ending of okay.
1: salutary neglect.
0: Begin the ending of salutary neglect. Begin the
1: ending. Well, that makes sense. It actually exactly. does make sense. This, I know. But, um, and I, I believe we talked about salutary neglect in one of the other episodes, but it's the idea that the colonies were left alone. They consider themselves the freest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, England had laws in place economically, but they just kind of ignored them. Yeah. Because everybody was making so much money that they just, they didn't care. Yeah. This will change that, and this is where the relationship really starts to to uh, shift from one of peace to one of unrest
0: right and there is an activity that i have that um, is called french and indian war fortune misfortune we'll link it in the show notes or you can tweet me personally and i will send you the resources for that lesson if you want to do it it's a one-day lesson that um, just kind of is a fun game for the kids it gets them engaged and um, it goes over the french and indian war
1: and, and the last major result, and it's not necessarily an economic one, but it will lead to having economic implications later on, is um, Franklin's introduction of the Albany Plan of Union, which his idea was to get colonies to send representatives to Albany and they would um, kind of unify in some way and act together, which was a big deal because the colonies considered themselves even different nations yeah. compared to each other. Yeah. Uh, It failed. The king wasn't going to allow it to happen because I I think the king kind of saw.
0: The writing on the wall.
1: Well, I think you realize that it's better to have 13 colonies instead of one colony. One colony.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: then also um, the colonies themselves did not want to give up their autonomy.
0: Right. But that's where that political cartoon, the infamous political cartoon Mm -hmm. of the snake being chopped up and labeled by each colony. You're going to want to introduce that to the kids. You're going to want them to evaluate it or analyze it. You're going to want them to discuss what are the implications of this? Um, what might this mean for the future of America if the colonies begin to work together?
1: Yeah, and again, we're kind of moving away from the economic part of it, but it's really just good for when you're getting ready to talk about the Constitution, you're getting ready to talk, well, you're talking about the colonies unifying. Right. And it's the first kind of popular attempt at that. Eventually, with the Continental Congresses and all that. Perfect.
0: So now that the French and Indian War has ended, and um, the king is going to move into this period of ending salutary neglect, and he's going to begin taxing the colonists in order to pay for the debts that the French and Indian War created. And when I took a class in college over this, um, we started learning and reading about the American Revolution, and I went into it thinking that the colonists were right, and the king was terrible, and he was overtaxing them like 70% of their income, and he was just being totally unfair. And when I read the reality of the situation, come to find out, colonists only paid about 10% of their income in taxes annually.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In comparison to today, we pay 30 to 35%, and actually we're pretty low among democratic nations for the amount of taxes that we pay
1: right and they, what have we figured out that the colonists it appeared paid 20 times less
0: 20 times less in taxes to in comparison to british citizens living in britain and so i think it's very important to set that tone for kids just give them the facts from the, the get-go don't american them or whatever that word is i don't know but I mean, we want them to be great citizens, but we also want them to be real realists. So, there's a great chart on page 164 of the textbook, and it shows the comparison of the debt per person, um, which is very interesting and very enlightening for kids to read.
1: Well, I think you brought up a good point. Um, let the kids make those value judgments if you can. Um, it's easy for us to put our bias on things. And and there are times when that's appropriate. But I think if you can get the kids, th- this is a great question as you're teaching this Road to Revolution unit, where are the Americans justified? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, something along those lines where the kids, who's to blame for the war? Was it the yeah. British or was it the Americans? And I think if you do it in that way, you're asking the kids their opinion. You're asking the kids to put their voice on it.
0: And they can still come away from it thinking that we were right to start the war. I don't know if I would say that, Now, in hindsight, that Mm -hmm. we were Americans were wrong to start the war, but it is just important to know that facts are facts Mm -hmm. and people, including our founding fathers, manipulated some of those facts to achieve political goals or economic goals. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but I just think it's important that we teach kids to be evaluative of that.
1: Critical of it. Exactly. When I think, see, I grew up in a a different time when we were a little bit of both. There was a little bit of, you know, American exceptionalism, the idea that Mm -hmm. everything we did was right and then there was this kind of backlash of the negative side of it and you can look at both things. I'm kind of the opinion and it's more of the the political part where, you know, the Americans were more justified and we'll talk about that next. But again, let the kids make those judgments and, and you'll have much better engagement. Um, they like to give their opinion because they're teenagers and they think they know everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not, again, I mean, it's not that they, you're not trying to prove to them that they weren't justified. It's just the fact of these are the, re- these are the real facts of what happened. And now I want you to decide for yourself. Right. So um, moving into the navigation acts.
1: Well, and the navigation acts have been Passed well before, and we kind of talked about this already, where England had laws in place that um, restricted trade in the colonies. Um, if you have to remember these colonies were established as, uh, you know, the Virginia Company or the Massachusetts Bay Company, and so they were shipping goods back to England. Um, but as time went on, you saw a little bit more lacks of enforcement with these laws. Right. More. Smuggling, But it wasn't really smuggling because everybody was doing it out in the opening. Yeah. Whereas now, after the war, you're going to start to see England enforce these laws that the people aren't used to being enforced. Mm -hmm. And so the way I always approach salutary neglect with students, and again, I may have brought up this before, was as a kid, when were you more upset when your parents wouldn't give you a phone or when they did give you a phone and took it away? Yeah. And they're always going to say when it's taken away. Mm -hmm. So any time... You have something that
0: taste of freedom,
1: taste of freedom, or you've had something taken yeah. away. Just having anything taken away upsets us. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids kind of get that un- understanding of what the end of securitarian neglect looks like, if right. you will.
0: And you gotta think it from think about it from a colonist's perspective: is it's being taken away for no good reason, mm-hmm. and um, so these navigation acts are starting to become more and more strictly enforced, and as a result smuggling doesn't stop smuggling continues it just becomes more secretive which then causes even more tension between the colonists and the king um
1: well and and england had a reason for it i mean again we talked about the debt they they need to raise funds to pay off this debt that they have um because there's real issues if you don't pay off your debt back then
0: yes and also the 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 idea that was very popular in europe at this time is the idea of Mm self-sufficiency how self-sufficient is your country Um, and they measured that based on number one, how could you get raw materials? What what were your colonies providing for you? How many colonies did you have? What, what did you have access to and how much trade do you have coming in and imports and how much trade do you have going out? What are your exports? And it's all about being self-sufficient because the more self-sufficient you are, the more powerful you are because you don't need anybody else to be successful.
1: Well, and that, that leads, like you said, directly into mercantilism, which again is a, is a pretty much a universal economic system of the time where if you want to teach it to your kids in the most basic way, you want to export more than you import.
0: Exactly. Because
1: you need the gold. And the idea back then was that um, the more gold you have, the more you can spend it on weapons of war, on projecting power. And so the... Um, the idea is when you export more than you import that imbalance leads to countries having to pay you in right. currency gold right and whereas before it could be traded in you know you could give 100 pounds worth of, of i don't know uh, wool as a and then get paid in 100 pounds of leather and that yeah. would equal, equal each out. other out
0: well and so that's easy for kids to relate to right mm-hmm. because it just makes common sense if you want to gain wealth personally think about your personal bank account Mm -hmm. you want to sell if you're in a a merchant or you're a salesman you want to sell more than you spend so it just kind of is an easy thing to make uh, that to explain kids that way the other thing you can definitely do is make an anchor chart Mm -hmm. and if you want a picture of what that could look like um, tweet me and i will send you one at lindsey m stevens on twitter (laughs) Shout out. And um, I will send you a picture of what the anchor chart can look like. Um, And that's super helpful, that visual for kids.
1: Well, and when we talk about these, the kids should be familiar with imports and exports. Um, That's something that they've had a background in.
0: I always say, like, I do repetitive vocabulary with my kids. And I know they're in eighth grade, but they do buy into it. And I say, when I say imports, you say in. Imports in. Imports in. And they repeat. And I go, when I say exports, you say out exports. They go out nice. exports. And so I do that all year long. And I do one-word substitutions so that it's very basic for the kids so that they just have it memorized off the cuff.
1: Uh, one thing to remember, we talked about that imbalance. And the, the the way countries got that imbalance, the way they exported more than they imported was through raw materials, mm-hmm. cheap raw materials. Right. And the source for all these cheap raw materials are their their new world colonies or their African colonies.
0: That's the whole point of having a colony. Why would you invest that much? Why would you continue to invest all that money if you're not going to make some type of profit, profit off of it?
1: Right. And so you have to make it where those colonies can only ship you the raw materials.
0: Right. So the basic gist of mercantilism that your kids need to understand is that the idea behind it is a country's wealth is based on three things. Number one, how much gold it has. Number two, how many exports it has going out. And number three, how many countries it has to import from. So essentially, how self-sufficient are you as a nation? And a lot of times we teach this to kids with the mother country and the colony Mm -hmm. as a key vocabulary. Um, But it's going to lead to bootlegging, and it builds up a lot of animosity amongst colonies. And what you have to understand is this is an economic system. It is basically their version of what free enterprise is to us Mm -hmm. and it was the leading economic system across Europe which is why they invested so much money in these expeditions and in colonizing and in bringing slaves and in all it's what motivates all of this and so this is the leading theory of this time and we're going to begin to see it shift which leads us to issue number three So when we started, we said that we were going to talk about four main issues that led to the American Revolution, four main economic issues. And the first was the French and Indian War. The second were the British economic policies, which we just talked about, the Navigation Acts, mercantilism, all that. The third is going to be Adam Smith and his publishing of the book of Wealth of Nations. I don't know if I said that correctly, but...
1: No, it is. Okay. Uh, and Adam Smith is a, a Scottish philosopher of the time. Uh, You've got to remember, he's he's a product of the Enlightenment, and so the idea of looking at natural law, just the way John Locke looked at natural law for government, uh, government Adam Smith is kind of looking at it from a uh, economic standpoint.
0: So his book, Wealth of Nations, is actually published on March 9th of 1776, and the whole purpose of this book is to basically debunk everything in the system of mercantilism and basically say that it is not an effective way to run the economics of a nation.
1: Mm-hmm. And so uh, at this time, England is kind of, it's a very, not the very beginning, but they're in the Industrial Revolution. The rest of the world is not really going through this just yet. England has started to do this, which uh, we can go all the way back into that, mm-hmm. but we're not going to. Um, but the goal is to, um, they're trying to figure out how to to embrace economics in this industrial revolution. Right. And right now they're looking at mercantilism. Adam Smith came along and said, ah, there's there's other things at play that can allow us to be more efficient in our use of um, raw materials and things of that nature.
0: Right. And all the research that I've read does not talk about like Adam Smith being treasonous or mm-hmm. being in danger. But I would assume that the king is not very happy to read this book. And it does become very popular in the colonies. Many of the Founding Fathers read it and agreed with a lot of it. Um, I think that they probably already had a lot of those thoughts on their own, because as a result of salutary neglect, free enterprise was kind of already developing in America. but definitely the fact that his book is released March 9th of 1776 is not necessarily a coincidence as to how that economically impacts the American Revolution.
1: Well, and I think you could use that as a, an use it to teach students that the Enlightenment is the cause of a lot of these things going on. Um, you know, we talked last one of the last episodes about Mer, uh, Magna Carta and John Locke. It's the idea that these men are Starting to look at the world a little differently right. than had been um,
0: previously done.
1: Yeah, in, in Europe, and it's a huge shift economically, uh, politically, and so it's kind of moving along in that direction. Adam Smith has a hand in that, um, and he he kind of really his two main points are the invisible hand, mm-hmm. which is basically the market.
0: Yeah, right? like it's the market takes care of itself.
1: Supply and demand. It's a
0: basic supply and demand. If right. you leave it alone, it naturally takes care of itself.
1: Right. And it the thing that's frustrating, I think, for many people with uh, free enterprise is there's, there's winners and losers.
0: Yeah, that's the hard part.
1: That's the hard part. And, and
0: that's the hard part about free enterprise systems. And right. honestly, that's the hard part about American democracy in general. That's the hard reality is if you want equality. Or freedom, freedom and equality don't mesh. That's not like those two ideals, which are at the core of who America as a country is. Those two ideas are opposites. If you think about it, like equality is everybody being the same, and freedom is the freedom of everybody to do what they want to do.
1: One, well, it's the difference between freedom of opportunity, right. or I should say, equality of opportunity and equality of outcomes. Right, and that's that's the painful side of. Uh, free enterprise Um, and then the idea of laissez-faire economics um, the government stepping back
0: right and that connect that principle I don't know if you necessarily teach all this to the kids it's not in the teeks Um, if if you have time to mention it I think it's interesting or if you want to add it to pre-ap as like an extension activity or something of that nature but it's it's a interesting to me to have the kids connect laissez-faire to limited government as a principal.
1: Right. And that is something that we, we've we attempted to do uh, in the sixth grade curriculum, in Katie, is have students look at this spectrum of, you know, on one end is unlimited and limited government, and where do economic systems fit in there? Mm. And then you look at scenarios and go, okay, what is this scenario at? Is it more... Free enterprise, or is it more control economy? Hmm. And um, having that's kids fine. making those judgments, and they like it. Um, like we've always said with with teenagers, equality is a big thing to them. Anything that's unfair gets them fired up and yes. angry. And um, you know they have such limited experience that. They don't always see the the big picture of... The
0: benefits, and they only see the negatives. You know, communism
1: looks really good on paper. Yeah, for sure. But it goes against human nature. Right. And so...
0: Well, that's an opinion, but...
1: I would think history... (laughs) I have data points to support that. Okay, okay.
0: That's a different podcast. (laughs) So, the thing that we want to make sure that kids understand is that there are... I mean, kids don't need to understand this. We want you to understand this as the teacher. That there's some basic fundamental beliefs about economics that Adam Smith lays out in his book, The Wealth of Nations. And that is, number one, people act in self-interest. And that's natural, that's gonna cause you to naturally prosper. You do what's best for you, and as a result, that's gonna cause the economic system to be successful.
1: Mm-hmm. Number two. Free trade will naturally cause a nation to be prosperous. This is actually really important now uh, with the idea of tariffs, And but I think if you talk about this a little bit now, and the idea that the more you open up trade, the more a country is supposed to benefit from that, um, that's it. But what, what happens is all countries have to accept that. Right. And so... That's uh, an
0: interesting one to talk about in today's politics and let kids kind of grapple with that.
1: Well, tariffs have been around uh, for most of the country's founding, uh, early founding. It's the main way the United States raises money up until the early 1900s. Right. Um, but it's it, with this, you know, free trade naturally causes a nation to be prosper. When you add free to anything, it's painful. And so people do lose their jobs. Um, people do lose um, their monopoly on um, certain industries if right. more efficient industries can come in can and come in and take and take over. Sell that. your mm-hmm. sell your their goods.
0: And then thirdly, um, this requires, in order for this to happen, it requires a, a government to be limited. Mm-hmm. But the question that I always ask kids is how limited. Right. What should be protected? What should not be protected? Right.
1: And what's the role of the government in the economic system and if you can get kids to answer that question, you're, they need
0: to run for president, twenty thirty, whatever.
1: Well, it, it's it's the okay. it's the challenge. It's it's you know, do we do we limit our carbon emissions? And if we do that, what does that do to our you know economy and people having jobs? You know, people that are hungry; don't really care about the uh, the environment, right? Um, or if you don't care about the environment, it, it's kind of that everything's a balance, right? And so I think we talked about this. Like we don't want England to come across as a bad guy. I don't think anything like that when we teach it. We don't want people to see necessarily good or bad, we see right. cost right. to everything. I mean, Opportunity cost. Cost or, and yeah. benefits. Mm-hmm.
0: But those theories for sure are, are things that you want to know as the teacher going into this unit so that you fully understand how all these little puzzle pieces play together.
1: Right, and so some of these things you may never teach to the kid, no. but as you're planning, if you have this knowledge or if you're, you want to go back and study a lot more, it influences how you structure your lessons yeah. with kids. Um, it may not be something any, they ever see.
0: So one thing that I learned when doing research for this was that um, Adam Smith actually went to Parliament after his book was released. And he advocated, during as the American Revolution is firing up, he advocated to Parliament to just let the colonies go peacefully. And he's, his argument was that the cost of maintaining the colonies and keeping them under submission was going to be more than what they are actually gaining from them and that they would be better as a trade ally. Um, obviously, Parliament did not buy that. But um, I think that that's kind of an interesting point of view is that Smith was an, a Scottish guy. He's from Europe. He has no real vested interest in this. And yet, that's his advice. So it's just kind of interesting. Fact.
1: Yeah, that 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 sounds about right. I mean, I imagine he's probably against maybe even countries. You know, the idea yeah. of just let people trade and let them do whatever, them do. and we don't need government. Yeah, which sounds good in hippie-ish. theory. It's, a, know, little hippie it's in a little hippie-ish. It's a little
0: hippie-ish.
1: And so our last main issue is uh, number four: no taxation without representation. It's kind of a mix between government and economics on right. the causes. The idea of this comes from Magna Carta. Um, You can get in all to talk about the details of James Otis and his trial and whatnot. But um, the idea that English citizens cannot be taxed without the approval or without their consent in parliament. Right. And the colonists don't have representation in parliament. And so they don't feel like they can fairly be taxed. So they believe that the only people who can tax them are their local assemblies, the, the right. House of Burgesses and things of that nature. And that is their, the, the two cross over there because obviously with the taxation portion.
0: Right. So that's where, to me, that's like the bridge where they take the economic issues that have been going mm-hmm. on and they bridge it over into the politics.
1: And that's where I go from, you know, the colonists being entitled brats to, They have an argument. Yeah. They have a
0: legitimate point.
1: The system is in place where, yes, those English citizens are taxed 20 20 times more, but they're taxed 20 times more and they have representation in Parliament. Sometimes
0: I wonder if they had given them a representative, if that would have just been enough for them.
1: I think in the natural progression of things, I don't think it would have mattered. Yeah. Because eventually... You already
0: did it. Well... (laughs) It it, would have been their motto then, right? Right.
1: Well, eventually it's going to be something else and something else. And it's you got to think of the American colonies at this time as kind of like that young teenager. Mm-hmm. They're they're ready to break off yeah, on their they're own. Done. They're bigger, and you can they're bigger than the.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, they have more economic wealth than they are the source of economic wealth from England until they go into until England begins the industrial revolution.
1: And India and Australia, yeah. But it, it really comes down to it was going to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, in order for you to successfully teach this to kids. I think some key things, um, there are some key things that they have to understand. Number one, you have to have already taught them or mentioned the word parliament. Mm -hmm. If they don't understand what parliament is, um, they're not going to understand this point in American Revolution.
1: Well, hopefully you've done that with Magna Carta. You've done that with the House of Burgesses being established as a kind of a a mimic of parliament. Parliament.
0: So definitely make sure that they know that word. And then also representation. If you've done your due due diligence Mm -hmm. in the 13 colonies unit or the colonial unit, Mm -hmm. then they should understand what the word representation means.
1: Correct. That's going to be tough for them. But I think also you can take this when you move into the, the constitutional convention and you're talking about the taxation of slaves and the southerners wanting representation for those slaves. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, you flip that phrase and go, well, you've taxed us, now give us our representatives. Right. Even though they don't really consider slaves citizens at all. I mean, slaves are not considered citizens. They're considered property. But the idea is if you're going to tax us more, then you need to give us more More representation. representation. Yeah. Um, Which is a, it just helps kids go, oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. We've just flipped it around, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And then, you know, there's all kinds of different stories, and you can talk about this, you know, with the the um, political side or the economic side. Um, there's the, the the Stamp Act issue and Ben Franklin being uh, embarrassed in Parliament. He was in England. He loved England. He See, was going to stay know there. This
0: story, you got to tell me so I can tell my kids.
1: So Ben Franklin went to uh, England early on, and he stayed there for a, a, a substantial amount of time and loved it, and had no, really no intention of ever coming back to the colonies. Um, he was popular. And he was kind of a, an advisor to Parliament over the colonies. He wasn't a representative. He didn't get to vote. But he just kind of kept them apprised of what was going on. And through a number, of, there, there was a release of some secret letters and there was some protest in, uh, in uh, the colonies that went bad. And he got called before Parliament. And if you've ever seen Parliament today, it's actually pretty funny because they insult each other openly the entire mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. well he stands up and they insult him um, not just personally but politically, professionally if you will and he just sits there and takes it and he's very calm and very quiet about the whole thing and they just go on and go on and go on and he uh, almost immediately after this this public flogging if you will gets on a ship and comes to the colonies and he's Done. He's done. He's ready for a revolution. And he never, he doesn't, Ben Franklin being the pragmatist that he is, doesn't really say that, but he's working behind the scenes to uh, oh, yeah. make things happen. And what's funny, because even in the American colonies, he wasn't treated that well. At one point you have, because he's that representative or that, that advisor to um, parliament, the mob ends up on his front porch and they're going to mm-hmm. burn his house down. And you have, I believe it is his wife, steps out with a shotgun and says, come on.
0: (laughs) I can see that from his wife. Well, I don't think he was ever actually married to her.
1: No, the wife was. He did have an illegitimate son. Uh, His wife, Deborah, I believe that was her name. Yeah, They were officially married. um, But anyway, it just kind of...
0: Well, and it doesn't help that his son, who you mentioned, was... Actually, the governor, the governor of New York, right? New Jersey, New I Jersey, yeah. and he um, stays a loyalist till uh-huh. the very end.
1: Yeah, it, it's. His, I think it's his illegitimate son that does that, and they don't become. I don't think they ever reconcile.
0: But they were close before that. Yeah, I mean, it's close. William, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, and
0: they were they were very close. He was very proud of him, even though he was illegitimate. I mean,
1: which was a big deal back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, anyway, Franklin just. The kids kind of like that story, especially the story about his wife stepping out on the front porch.
0: Um, I don't know if I believe you. on I'm going to look that up.
1: There there was a mob. And I, I don't think she was by herself. I, I can't remember the details of it. But and also the idea of him sitting in parliament and just being uh, or standing in parliament and being uh, embarrassed publicly. Yeah. Um, he was irate and kept it calm. And um, that's why he's so willing to do whatever he can uh, during the war. Um politically to to get the, the separation right. taken care of
0: well those are the four things so we have the french and indian war remember to like give the kids the big picture takeaways from that
1: was, um, the results are the big thing there
0: right and then the british economic policies of the navigation acts and mercantilism um we do have some lessons on these so like the navigations act acts we have like a a point of view piece lesson plan that if you uh, give us a shout out on Twitter, we'll be more than happy to send to you. Or also a mer- I have a mercantilism simulation, which is really fun. It gets the kids riled up and it has them simulate what it feels like to be Britain or to be the 13 colonies or even France or another country that can't trade.
1: Do kids get mad during this simulation?
0: Oh, they get very
1: mad. Well, then that's a, that's a good day. <laughs> social. that's the way studies. it goes,
0: Right. And the third thing that you may not necessarily want to touch on in your class, but just know for yourself is Adam Smith and his role and his beliefs and how they impacted the development of the free enterprise system.
1: And you can read Wealth of Nations. Um, it's a you, great
0: read. Uh, if you
1: want to cure insomnia, it might help you. Stop. Or, or it, it is interesting for nerds like us. I
0: mean, he basically, the way that it's written, it's like a standpoint against, and he just basically lists all the reasons. It's, right. it's a very interesting read. It's like reading *Civil Disobedience*. Come on, it's interesting.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll take your word on okay, that one. Thank you. I haven't read it *Since high And school. then
0: the last one, which will kind of help you bridge the gap from economic issues into the politics of it, which we will talk about in the next episode, is the idea and the slogan: "No taxation without representation." Um, again, pose these ideas to the kids. Think of some critical thinking questions that will get them motivated and make them really apply their learning. And,
1: um, thanks again for listening to us. Yes. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you the next time and talk politics, mm. fun stuff. Always.
0: Hey there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join in on the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag PastToPresentPod. That's past, the number two, present, P O D. Do you have suggestions on how we can improve our podcast? We'd love to hear them. Find our feedback form and much more on our website, pasttopresentpod.com. Special thanks to our producer, Ms. Sharon Thorngreen, and all those who helped develop the content for today's episode. Audio mixing done by Lindsay Stevens, and music credit to bensound.com. All thoughts and ideas expressed in today's episode are that of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of KDISD.